If you want to be the first to get notified when I do urgent videos on the economy and the global reset, make sure to subscribe to our channel and click the bell icon. We're getting new information daily, constantly, sometimes multiple times in a day, actually always multiple times in a day. And when something is important or affects you, I will absolutely come on air and let you know about it. Eric E. asks, okay. many people recommend 10% of my assets to be in precious metals. How can 10% of my assets in precious metals allow me to maintain my buying, buying power in the event of a reset? Is that really enough? Well, there are a few different ways that I can answer that. Um, number one, in, in, no, 10% is not enough. Why would you want to hold most of your wealth in an overvalued instrument that is in a long-term negative trend? You're talking about the dollar. I'm talking about the dollar. Okay. And so stocks, bonds, annuities, mutual funds, all those products, savings, all of those are made up of and can only be converted back into dollars. So that's that nominal confusion piece where you think it's going up, but in reality, the foundation is rotting away. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that's number one. And I certainly don't hold 90% or actually even 1% of my wealth in dollars or dollar-denominated instruments. Now, on the other side of that, some people don't have that luxury because they're contributing to say a 403B, which you can't get out of. Right. Well, you know, when they're talking about that, in terms of dollars, gold and silver are so severely undervalued that their rise in dollars as we go through the reset could offset, in, in terms of dollars, okay, offset the losses that you would take in those other instruments. But, you know, if I have a choice, which I do, so I've made that choice, mm -hmm. I, I want the lion's share of my wealth by a long way to be in an undervalued asset that is in a long-term positive trend, which is gold. And the least amount of my wealth in dollar-denominated assets. Right, and especially when talking about, when in his question, I mean, he says, in the event of a reset. Well, in the event of a reset, I mean, if we knew 100% reset was happening tomorrow, everybody would go 100% into gold and silver, right? Actually, actually, inflation itself, by the very design of the currency, it is resetting constantly. That's right. why we've lost... 97% of the purchasing power. Mm -hmm. What you're referring to is the visible reset. And since there's virtually no purchasing power left in the currencies and the central banks are essentially out of the original tools they give, gave themselves and then the new tools that they gave themselves. So there's going to be more experimentation. A reset of the whole system is frankly inevitable. Mm -hmm. They have to get rid of the garbage. Right. So 
you know, in the event of a visible reset. Yeah, and an invisible reset, what we're talking about is like what Mexico did, I think it was in the 90s, where it was 1,000 to one, right? You had $1,000 and they did close the banks, reset the currency, and it was now was worth a dollar, right? Right, So, and that's what Venezuela is doing right now. Okay, they're, they're, they've not finished their reset, but a little bit more than a year ago, they revalued. So they just keep doing that reset, over and over. revaluation, and ultimately what happens. And this is really what the rise of populism and nationalism is about, is the only reason why the system is currently viable at all is because the public accepts it for payment of their labor mm -hmm. and continues to agree to use it as a tool of barter and we have to pay taxes in it. Mm -hmm. But when all confidence is lost in the currency, you know, the public can force that reset. That's why perception management, which you always talk about, is such a valuable tool in the in their toolbox to keep things prolonged, right? Exactly. That perception management is absolutely the linchpin it, it, in the whole system. Exactly, it's huge, yes. So the, the Mexico example was like a very definitive boom reset, right? And you've got Venezuela, Zimbabwe was kind of an overtime multiple resets, said, right? Yes. And they usually are, So and the US dollar. Right, mm -hmm. in its and that's a long, that's what inflation, right? Like it's been a hundred year, hundred plus years of constant exactly. resetting the currency. So please understand, inflation is a slower form of reset as long as it's not hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Right, which is Venezuela, Zimbabwe hyperinflationary reset. Right, right. So, so get it. We are inside of a reset. Period. I mean, this is not, when will it happen? Is it going to happen? Maybe it won't happen. It's been happening to us every single day since we've been born. So for me, that's October 15th, 1954. There you go. So to answer your question, in a reset, 10% is probably not enough. <laughs> no. Um, Okay, but, so but you also need food, water, energy, security, <coughs> barterability, community, wealth preservation. You need to have a roof over your head. Right. So it isn't just gold. It is everything in combination that will help you sustain your standard of living and then put you possibly, depends on what you're doing, that's all part of the strategy, but put you in a position to take advantage of what normally happens during a reset. Jay asks, after zeros are lopped off during the reset and a person's savings goes from 10,000 to 100, wouldn't that hold true for your creditors as well? If a person owes a $100,000 mortgage, wouldn't that go to 1,000 after the reset? Logically, you would think so. But historically, the mortgage is held at that same amount, typically. It's not the creditors that usually eat it. Plus, it depends on the interest, right? So if you have variable rate debt, such as credit cards, things like that, interest goes up so fast that you never get out of debt even when they do a reset. If it's a fixed rate contract, they don't typically reset that contract lower. 
So you would still owe that amount. However, when they reset the officially the spot price of gold, that's when you can really capture those gains to pay that mortgage off no matter how much it is. Paul S. asks, why was our, our currency revalued in the past? This time it will be debt. What were the previous reasons? Well, it, first of all, when it was revalued in um, 1913, that was the first revaluation, we were, there was the World War I, so a lot of the times the war is a good, a good excuse to inflate or hyperinflate the currency. That's what history tells us. So back in uh, 1913, it was reset to start to create that inflation. And they also wanted to shift our uh, society into a consumer-driven society, which is what China's doing right now. But for the US, that started in the 20s. In 33, when they did that revaluation and that reset again, it was, a, they used it as an excuse to take the gold out of the system so they could then create more inflation, okay? But it was also to try and kickstart from the depression. It wasn't very effective then. It needed the war to help pull us out and create enough inflation and jobs, etc. In 71, it's because the way that the currency was pegged to, or gold was pegged to the dollar, and yet in the US, we were funding the Vietnam War. So we were actually defaulting on our Bretton Woods agreement on that, and the rest of the world didn't believe us anymore. So we depegged then and we reset the currency because there was a run on the dollar conversion, converting it back into gold. And it was not, we couldn't sustain that system. So in this country, in the past, those are the resets. Now we're coming up to another one. But again, inflation is a constant reset. It's just that those were the really visible. I don't know that 1913 was, was that visible because allowing uh, pay to continue to be linked to the same amount of gold meant that the average income, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, almost tripled. So costs doubled, that would have been visible. But since their income tripled, you know, happy days are here again, the flapper generation, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that people are always aware, even while they're living through reset. I mean, maybe some of our viewers that were there in, in 71 during that reset. I mean, I was like, you know, I was a late teen. 17. Yeah, I was like 17, 18, 16. I mean, that whole period, the Vietnam War, I was kind of younger than my older sisters who had friends that went off to the war. But I remember saying Social Security is not going to be there for me then. I remember all the turmoil. You know, um, my sister Elena was uh, Billy Clubbed in Kent State. But for anybody that's that has lived through it in this country or even more recently in other countries, maybe you can comment on it and help people understand it. Because there are typical things that happen all around a reset to distract us just before the crash, 
right? All these things happen. People are looking at this or they're looking at that. They're looking at the other thing. And so they're not actually even seeing the reset. This reset will be caused because of the debt bubble, we went, which we started back in 71 in that transition because that's what taking us off the gold standard you know, really did was it handed control of inflation to the central banks and corporations, private corporations. Great idea. Let's face it, you are just not too big to fail. What we don't really realize until it's too late is how vulnerable we are. And that's why you have to have physical gold and silver outside of the system because anything in the system is that vulnerable. But since 2000, the share of corporate bond offering documents that explicitly mention share buybacks or dividends among the intended uses has increased from 2% to 11% more than fivefold. Now, here's the reason why that matters. Because when a corporation borrows to expand their business, then they have a chance of generating additional income to pay that debt off. But when a corporation borrows for share buybacks or dividends, that wealth transfers out of the corporation. And so when there is a big shock that comes in, think Boeing back in 2020, taxpayers had to bail them out. So this is a very, very big deal. It's what, it's what happens. You're leaving everybody else holding the bag during the next crisis. This whole thing really ticked me off. I can't even tell you. I was completely obsessed with it. Okay, rapid developments in the corporate bond market have revealed some structural challenges. That's not good because that means that we can see it topple at any given moment. And these systems are so fragile and so vulnerable. That's exactly what we're likely to see happen. So the K-shaped recovery is where you have these billionaires and the people that own the assets that are doing really, really well. I mean, their, growth, their wealth has grown massively during this period of time. But then you have most of the people, the normal people, the service people in the lower wages, and they're struggling. They're still starving. They're still struggling. So that's a K-shaped recovery. And I would say that that was true in the bond market as well. You have a few entities that are doing enormous, you know, Amazon, Apple, Google, you know, the names, Microsoft, all those guys. But most of the corporations are not having that same kind of profitability, let's say. Because truthfully, what they say is, trust us, everything is fine. I mean, listen to Powell. Yeah, we can do this, we can stop. Whenever, if we, if we see inflation getting away from us, what are we gonna do? We're gonna pull out those tools and we're gonna fight that inflation. Well, what does he have to fight that inflation with? Interest rates was are anchored at zero and his balance sheet, new money, which is not being as impactful as he would like it to be or other central bankers or even as they want us to believe that it is. 
So this fiat money system and these central bankers are supporting the fiat markets. And they will do that until it becomes too expensive or they lose control. And I'm kind of, what I'm seeing in this report and what I'm gonna show you tomorrow is that they are losing control. And you're gonna see why in 2008, nobody went to jail. And if this happens, whenever this happens in the 2020s, whether it's 2021, 2022, or 2023, or whenever it happens to be, who's gonna pay for this? Because everything is not fine. It should be pretty clear just from this one chart that the markets absolutely require all that new money to keep floating. And every single time a central bank creates new money, what happens? The money that's already out there loses value. And that, by the time it gets to you and me, that's why you see grocery store prices going up and everything else, all your cost for everything going up. Real money supports independence. And we need to be independent in this environment, as self-sufficient and independent as possible. So what are the central bankers doing for themselves? They are buying gold. And this little blip right in here where they couldn't do it in 2020, they didn't buy much gold, because this is net. So this includes all the buys and all the sells from the global central banks buying and selling gold, right? This shows you gold doing exactly what it was designed to do because there were a number of governments that needed the support, needed to sell some gold so they could help their economy survive this. But as soon as that shock was over, would they start doing again? They're net buyers. Why? If it's such an old relic, if it has so little relevance in today's financial system, then why would they be doing that? They wouldn't, right? It's because they want to stay in power. They want to be independent. And don't you want to be independent too? Don't you want to be able to stand in your own power? But you need more than gold and silver to do that because you need to be as self-sufficient and independent as possible via food, water, energy, security, community, and shelter, as well as your barterability and your wealth preservation. You need to hold your purchasing power. For 6,000 years, gold has held its purchasing power. Why? Because it has the broadest base of utility and the broadest base of buyer. It's not rocket science. It doesn't require a special formula to make it look like this or to make it look like that. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that because that's not entirely true because of all the derivatives on gold and silver that they create to manipulate the price. But that still doesn't eliminate its value across every single segment of the global economy. That's why central banks buy gold. That's why you need to be buying it too. That's why I'm buying it. My wealth isn't at risk because I'm all in right here and I hold it and I control it. And I know the lies. And like the biz said, gold 
held at home runs no political risk. All they can do is manipulate the spot price. That's what they can do. So if you wonder how risky all of this is and where you are in that ownership chain, for those that have been around for a while, you've seen this flow chart from Yale Law that did a custodial ownership chart. But I'm gonna tell you, it's a lot more complex than this with a whole lot more, I mean, I just don't even have enough room to do how complex it is. Here are you, way down at the bottom, itty bitty. Everybody, here's the legal owner right up here, Seed and Company, DTC, these are all the big banks that own Seed and Company and DTC, right? See, but Seed and Company is the legal registered owner. In fact, you cannot even buy a bond that is not in book entry only form, which means you can't take possession of the certificate. And they're working really hard to get rid of your ability to take position, possession of stock certificates as well. But the bond market's the biggest market. That's the one that they had to go after first. So that means that they, these big banks are in full control and they're the legal registered owner. Where do you fall in this chain? At the very, 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 very bottom. Because you are not too big to fail. Now your family may consider you too big to fail and I consider, I definitely do consider everybody out there too big to fail, especially when they're doing all of this garbage and putting you at risk when you don't even realize it. When you don't even realizing realize the rising danger. But I hope you realize it now. I know it kind of seems like gobbledygook and so complicated, but remember, ignorance doesn't make you immune. It just leaves you vulnerable. And certainly our team at ITM, they understand all of this too. So you can get into that into this in a lot more detail. What all my work is about is hoping you are no longer fooled by Wall Street's, the governments, and the central bank illusion. Because I got news for you. Coming soon. I can't tell you the exact moment that that's going to happen, but this is a Jenga economy. And every time something happens, another piece of this Jenga is coming out. Which will be the piece that they cannot paper over? I don't know. But what I do know is that because we are in such a vulnerable position, and, and I'm, when I say we, I'm really referring to the central banks here. They're between a rock and a hard place. And they don't really know which, you know, if what they do is going to have any impact because right now they're juggling the repo and the reverse repo markets. They pushed all this liquidity in. It's too much liquidity. They need to pull some out, at least on a short-term basis. But, you know, can they raise rates? Can they run off their balance sheet? No, they can't do it. And what are you talking? I mean, seriously. Seriously, what are you talking about raising rates? The end of 2022 and 23, it's ridiculous. But the markets respond to it. 
Well, what the central bank is attempting to do, that's called forward guidance. And they're trying to reassure the banks that they're still in control. But as I've shown you many, many times, that's simply, it, it, it's still a bit true. It is still a bit true, but that is becoming actually pretty rapidly not true at all. So I, I hope that you could see how this plays in to the whole global reset, because frankly, it is super, the whole markets, I mean, they are just vulnerable, fragile as anything. You cannot raise rates in this environment, nor can you take the punch bowl away as far as free money goes. You just can't do it or you'll have an implosion. And that it impacts you because that implosion will be magnified God knows how many times. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, according to some of the IMF data, at least a thousand times, but it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger than that and it's hidden and nobody knows. And so the system has to reset. So we'll have this flood of money. And I know that right now they're saying, well, look, we've created all this money and we, we barely have inflation. And hey, we want that inflation to go to our 2% target. Well, look at your bills, really. 2% garbage, 5% garbage, 10% is probably also kind of garbage anymore. And this is not going to get better at all. So this flood of the next flood of money that comes into this to try and keep all of these bubbles floating, especially since, you know, I got to say, I, I, you know, I, I know I'm not seeing it in the monetary velocity yet. I know I'm not seeing it there, but it sure feels to me like the hyperinflation has already begun. Uh, and D asks, does market have to crash before the dollar can reset to digital? Okay. The market has to implode, which is deflationary before the whole system can reset fully because you have to lose all confidence in order for them to justify that very, 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 very painful move. So now does it have to crash before the dollar goes, becomes digital? No, it does not. Nor do I think for even one second that once they introduce the digital dollar, that everything's fine and hunky-dory and over. I don't think so. I think that is just a tool. So there's only one way. And, and of course the market imploding is deflationary. There's only one way to fight deflation that's with inflation. But a lot of the other part of the problem, every time the central bank was doing QE, it had less and less and less impact. It had the most impact at first. That's why when they went in during the pandemic and they did you know, I mean, it dwarfed what they did in 2008. And here we are, we're still struggling with it, right? It's still, they're, they're talking about reducing the amount of, of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. Actually, they've just mentioned treasuries, but it could be both. That they might start to reduce the amount of, of those assets that they're going to buy in November from 120 billion a month to I don't know what. 
And of course, we've got the debt ceiling looming and we've got the treasury needing to dump money into the system to meet their, to meet their requirements. So I, I really hope, even if you don't understand it all, even, you know, even if you don't, I hope that you can see how far we are in this because I really don't know, should the corporate bond market implode? My bet is, is they won't be able to print enough money to bail this one out or even to hide it. And the reason is because we don't really know how much is at risk. We have no clue and they have no clue. It's not like they know and we don't. It's like nobody has, nobody has a clue. Remember, if you need to talk to us, we're just a phone call away. If you have not subscribed, make sure you do because here at ITM, we use the Wealth Shield. And Wealth Shields, well, what are they? They're made out of physical gold, physical silver, but also food, water, energy, security, wealth preservation, community, shelter, barterability. You gotta have it all. And until next we meet, please, please be safe out there. Bye-bye.